Hello, I'm Katie Knight and welcome to Can You Put Me On Guest List, the podcast that interviews some of the most interesting and successful professionals in the dance music industry. Today's guest is Rob Yilmaz. He's marketing manager and booker at Lock and Load Events, who are based in London, and have organized huge events such as SW4, Together at Amnesia Ibiza, Pyramid London, and many more. The hardest thing is maintaining the, the level that of that level. brand and level of the talent and level of the club. In this episode, we talk about ideas to sell tickets for events, the importance of street promo, how to get DJs to post event flyers, Ibiza and its many challenges, and a lot more. So I'm going to stop rambling on now and let you guys listen for yourselves. Enjoy. Rob, hello, how are you? I'm good, thank you very much. Thank you for uh, letting me into your lovely home today. No worries. Having a chat. It feels good because I feel like me and you have worked together for a really long time, but we haven't spent a lot of time with each other. No, it's been mainly email-based, yeah. which is a shame. I know, this is nice, yeah. this is good. Right, so let's just start from the beginnings. How did you get into the music industry? So... Uh, it all started when I was 18. I went to, I lived in Dubai. I basically um, studied sports in Dubai and I came to Bath University to do coach education. So on my, my kind of viewpoint was I'm going to do sports and probably do management of sports of some, some sort. And then we went to university and then I, I always liked to throw parties. I, I used to do it in Dubai. So I basically used to just run house parties with my friends. Used to get in trouble with my parents quite a lot. <laughs> because I'd, I'd, I'd run stuff when they weren't there. And uh, so I kind of had, I kind of liked hosting. Yeah. Essentially. And then when we went to Bath, we had students' unions events. Uh, which meant that basically every Friday there used to be an event on campus. And then we went there several times and it was awful. So we, me and my friends thought, you know, there has to be something better in town for 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 students. There wasn't. Uh, the music was awful. So we decided to go into a club in town, uh, which was called Club Excel. Um, it was it, it wasn't the best of spaces, but we went there and that was the only Friday night in town, which wasn't a club in town, which wasn't doing the night. So we went there and we had a discussion with the club owner who basically said, yeah, we'll, we'll try you out for a night. So we basically started running a night called Delight. Which actually came from, I'm Turkish, my friend said, they made fun of me saying Turkish Delight, and the, the name kind of came from there. And we basically started promoting a night uh, on the 5th of March it was, and we started flyering on campus, talking to our friends, and that was our first event, basically. We had like 500 people in, and the, the concept was good music, which back then was just progressive electronic music. Yeah. And, um, and the first night was amazing. Uh, all of our friends came down, and then the second one was awful. Had like twenty people there, um, and we we thought basically people thought it was a one-off. So we basically after that we started promoting it from then on, and it became you know, one of the biggest nights in town. Um, wow. And we did that for about four years. So it was me and four three friends, four friends actually, and a designer as well. So that's how we started basically running nights. We were earning money, quite a lot of money, and ended up like making it on the Friday and spending it on the Monday when we went out, basically. So it was quite uh, ad hoc. So we didn't really have any ambitions to do anything more than that. But then in our second year, we started the company and we you know, branched out to Bristol eventually. And then what happened was after four years, it kind of reached its peak. Yeah. What happened was we, we couldn't afford to. All we did was every week we invested what we earned into the night, into props, into concepts, into DJs. Um, and then it came to a point where the generations changed. So our friends left university. 
the word of mouth didn't spread enough because we weren't first and second years trying to promote that night anymore. And new people came through uh, and we basically kind of lost touch with, with, the, with the students. And then at that point, it, I, I was looking at job, jobs in the industry in London and I saw an internship pop up at Lock and Load. And I, and I went one summer, July 2014, actually, I went and I, I went for an interview and they told me that I was potentially a bit more qualified than an intern. Um, and they told me that the timing was right and they're actually looking to bring someone on. Uh, so they'll give me a three-month trial period. And if I do well, they'll give me the job. So after that, they gave me the job. And, and you've been there ever since? Yeah, I've been there ever since. It's been four and a half years now. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Because so you're marketing manager there. Yeah. And you're also a booker. Yeah, so basically I, I started originally as just a marketing assistant. So I was helping my my boss and my workmates with just running the promotion of the events, carrying yeah. out the plans that were put together. Um, and then over the years, certain people have left and I've moved into a position where I, I book all the club shows we do across the year. Um, and I book Ibiza and I book SW4 Festival. Obviously, this is in tandem with my director as yeah. well. But I do I do the majority of the legwork when it comes to the, the, the main shows. Uh, and when it comes to the festival, my director deals with a lot of the, the big bookings, uh, the headliners, and I book out the rest of the festival. So there's about another 100 acts. What do you think is the hardest part of your job? Um, I'd probably, with, with events, it's because our job is not done until every ticket's sold. So if an event's not sold out, there's always work to do. And that's probably the hardest thing because, you know, it, you never, you get some events, you go to do some quarters where every event's going well, but at the end of the day, and, and there's some events where you go through periods and they're all just shockers. So yeah. at the, if, if an event's not sold out, there's always more to do. So that's probably the hardest where, you never put an event on and they all sell out. So I kind of, when I'm when I'm just in the office or just not in the office, I'm always thinking, how do we get this event sold out? So that is probably the hardest part of it. It never stops. But not in the sense of never stops compared to other jobs. It's like if an event's not done, there's always more you can be doing on that event to get it where, to where it needs to be. Yeah. I think, I think that's probably it. And also it can be uh, the pressure sometimes, but I'm young. Like I don't, you know, there's... I enjoy my job, so I, I kind of uh, try to put that pressure on me in a nice way. And you just have to, because it is quite cutthroat sometimes. Yeah. So you need to be, you need to also learn how to turn around and go, it doesn't matter that much. Yeah. So that's very important. And you've obviously worked on so many events since you started. Yeah. Um, you've put so many marketing plans together. Yes. Do you find that you kind of use the same formulas for other events or do you just treat each event as it comes as an individual? So when it when it comes to when it comes to timelines in the sense of okay, we have certain ways of promoting. So for example, if a big act comes to London, we do something called the sign up process. So we we ask the fan to you know the artist to post on their socials, and we get sign up. So people they go sign up to have early bird access to my tickets. That that concept is same with a lot of the artists. So we have a way of going up. So you post this then, and then then, and then then, and then we release the tickets that's how we do a lot of our events so we galvanize the fan base in a city and go x artist is coming do you want to see him and get cheaper tickets and a mix from this artist sign up so you can have first yeah. access to them so that concept doesn't cha we, we champion that concept a lot and that's what i learned when i came to lock and load that doesn't change a lot that way of promoting but you have to win the, the assets and the concepts behind each event differ a lot so if I'm going to promote a drum and bass event, it's completely different the way I talk to people and the artwork to a house event or a techno event or to a trance event. Because yeah. you're talking to different people. 
and you need you know there's obviously some events where you do where like it, it transcends genres and just loads of people come normally they just sell out quick so you don't really need to do much on those events but when it comes to a drum and bass headliner or a house or a techno headliner you the way you present the promotion is is slightly different whether it be more slick or more in your face or more understated you need to approach it in a, in a different every show needs to be approached in a different way when it comes to talking to to, to the public what would you say the percentage is between marketing online and marketing offline for us yeah uh, I'd say I'd say it's we're, we're one of the companies that uh, this comes from above as well that very uh, uh, they do not forget that street promotion is very important because what's happened is obviously it's gone from street promo to online promo really heavily but you can't forget that the online market is so saturated there's so much stuff going on online you need to you need to back that up with street promo like yeah. the way the our percentage is like 75 25 online and 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 street but there's a lot of people now who will do like five yeah. percent street but we do when it comes to our campaigns we do street posters we do um we do like flyer packs outside clubs so there'll be like a pack with our advert on it and flies inside you know we do billboards tube campaigns so the street campaigns are really important still however the only thing with street campaigns is you can't measure measure so you can't go oh a million people walk past my tube advert in the last three weeks how many tickets have we sold you no no idea but an event can't live simply online. And we're seeing this with some events, and there's actually an event coming up, um, which I feel that it, it needs more than just living online. It needs to step out of that, you know, online, or at least, sorry, stay in the online, but also have like a, a street presence, because let's not forget how many people actually work and live around London, who are the people who come to our clubs. Um, so I would say 75-25. And uh, we will, we probably will never, because my, my, my director came from the clubs. He used to run turn mills. Um, and he, you know, his philosophy was just street promotion. So he always will keep that within him. And yeah. he, there's always sometimes even where he pushes a lot and then I go maybe not as much, but you can't forget that street promotion, putting a, a flower in someone's hand is can be very effective because as soon as they go on Facebook, they're bombarded with this event there that yeah. event there and it's just like if you give it to someone you have their attention for at least 10 to 15 seconds and it's undivided attention yeah that's that's exactly what i was gonna say before actually because sometimes i think to myself there's so much going online mm. we're bombarded with so much information every single day and there's so many offers and so many events going on sometimes i do think to myself like is it harder trying to promote an event online it's getting harder because there's just yeah. so much going on and it probably is offline yeah it's interesting because you well, at least with online, you can control and see what's working and do A-B testing and go, okay, we're going to put three assets out there promoting the same thing. And then you, after a week, you get the results. Yeah. You look at them and go, okay, we're going to use this now for this audience. And then we're going to use that for this audience. So um, I would probably still prefer, I pref you know, I prefer online because it, it's not preferring. It's just you can just see what's yeah. working and what's not. And then you'll also get more creative with online stuff. Yeah, definitely. You know, you know, so... Whereas with street promo, it also can be seen quite like, you know, some, I don't know, some promoters won't even do it because they don't, they feel it looks a bit tacky sometimes, maybe street promo, but I don't, as long as the, you know, the flyers we do, when we give a fly to a person, it's like a fold-out fly, it's like, it opens up, it's like eight panels on it, and it's like a proper story, like, you don't want to, you don't, you know, if it's a big event, you don't want to give someone an A6 flyer, which is like two-sided, it's like, why do I want to come to this, but yeah. if you give them a fly which folds out and there's like a big poster in the middle and it talks about each of the artists and the venue, the punter goes, oh, they actually care about the event. So 
then the conversion rate of that is high, even though you probably can't track it. Yeah. What do you think about Facebook? Because I know there's a lot of people at the moment saying that um, from a marketing point of view, that Facebook isn't giving the same results as it probably used to. Do you think that's true? Or do you think it's just that you have to really understand how Facebook works and the tools that it provides? I think that with Facebook, is as soon as you understand it, it changes. Yeah. So it's like you got you get the hang of it. Like Facebook's amazing because it it's respond you know we we live and breathe on facebook and a lot of dj's do as well but as soon as you get the hang of something on facebook they either change the algorithms or they go okay this works now obviously they introduce extra tools which is really important but they do change a lot so you need to have your finger on the pulse there you yeah. need to have like i work with you know dave dave and sure yeah. he is he has his finger on the pulse so as a promoter you you need to have someone on board who is just living and breathing social media like i know what i'm talking about when it comes to that but at the same time you need someone who's like looking at the stats looking at the new functions so facebook is is a great tool and you, you can't undermine it but you have to be constantly evolving and, and speaking to someone who's constantly on it promoting different types of media so you can see what works because sometimes it's this that works and then four months later we and then you do it you do that all the time and then it stops working and you're like why is it not working oh it's because now facebook want to see this and then they change the they because at the end they control what they what they give to people so that's the only issue there as soon as you think you've got it they change it and they're in control and when they're in control it's annoying it's quite confusing. Yeah. I find it really confusing. Sometimes, yeah. like, I have no idea yeah. where I would go with this now. Yeah. But you just need, yeah, as you said before, need people that really understand and just live and breathe yeah, social media. Yeah, definitely. And the stats and, and our geeks, essentially. They yeah. want to know, like, what's working and what's not. Like, I love when ads work, but if I look at, like, loads of statistics, I literally stop reading after, like, the fourth line. <laughs> I just don't, it's just too much. It but is. But when someone's there going, okay, this is what we should do, this is what we should do, and I go, great. Obviously, I question it. I go, maybe that's not the right thing to do or we're not. At the end, but it still still does stem from the, 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 the marketing person because they go, this is who we need to target and this is the content we need to target those people with. And then the person who does the social media will tell you if it's working or not. So at the end, you, still lead, you still lead the charge in what you want displayed to people. So that's really important. That comes from us. You know, he, you know we, the social media managers will give input into that, but they will take our lead in. No, if I say to them, I want to post this, they might go tweak it a little bit because yeah. that's going to perform better on socials. And I'll go, yeah, and then we'll do it. Or I'll go, oh, do we have to? And then they'll go, well, the stats don't lie. And then you kind of do both ways. And sometimes you're right and sometimes, sometimes they're, they're right. right. Yeah. How have you found um, getting DJs to promote events? Because from my experience at Amnesia, I've had so many times where I've found it really hard to get some DJs, not all DJs, obviously, yeah. but certain DJs that won't post or they'll do like one small little post. Yeah. And I, sometimes I think to myself, well, it benefits you as well. Obviously, you want your show to be packed. Have you found that problem as well? Because I know that I'm not the only person that has said this. Yeah, completely. It's just it's an interesting one with that because it's true. And you have to see it from the other side of the manager as well. So if you're an artist or a manager yeah, and if you're a popular one, Imagine how many requests you get of people yeah. asking to post. And that's 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 where it becomes like when when I first started I was thinking, God, why are they not posting? Are they not like, you know, are they not supporting the show? Are they not doing this? And they want to do that. And they want to do that, but you have to find ways. You have to create content for them to post. So you might like create like a like a lineup artwork or something that you plan to push out to your fans. 
a lot of the time that doesn't work for those artists because a it's not on brand or or b it's just they just don't like the look of it but you have to find well that's why instagram stories are so good because they instagram started something and they all artists go yeah we'll post an instagram stories and it's like yeah it's fine and the, the reach that instagram stories is getting these days is is far outdoing facebook at points but it only lives there for 24 hours and and for the artist it's great because they can go great it's a platform that we can just post and it's fine you know it's <laughs> yes. not going to live there and you know if we don't like it it'll my go away my feed isn't going to be full of flyers this is it and that's why the dark ads come in and they can they can you know they can post flyers without it popping up on their main home feed but it will like pop up in people's news feeds when they scroll so yeah but at the end of the day you know the way we approach it is we go we go to an artist look we do a show with you if you let us do what we want to do this show will be sold out 100 percent. because yeah. all we what we do is we go there we engage their fan base we get the signups and we sell out quick we've done it with loads of artists uh, you know in london um and it works but even with the festivals we've done it with faithless chemical brothers andy c you know we tell them just let us have your socials and we'll present a plan to you go here's the plan and it will be like three organic posts and we'll create the content and they'll they'll agree to it and we we know how to engage their fan base but then sometimes the artists go they push back they go no no not this not this not this and then what happens is sometimes a lot of the time we push back and and go guys if you want this event to be successful and if you want to tell it, you need to listen to us like we're not doing it just we're not doing it to be difficult you need to do these steps in order to achieve that goal of the sellout and sometimes they don't agree and it becomes a slog because it just we haven't been able they haven't given the visibility for that event on their socials which essentially where all their fans lie you know yeah. that, that's where you find them unless you you know go to a bespoke event with seven thousand fans of an artist it's difficult to engage them online is where they live so um it is difficult but if you get it right and if they listen to you then it all works and we're not asking to be you know, just be on their socials every day, all day. It's just like three posts over two weeks and yeah. we'll, we'll manage to engage your fans somehow to sign up and then we'll give them a ticket link and they'll buy. It's simple. It's simple in theory, but when it comes to dealing with managers and what they want to post and, and you kind of sometimes have, you know, yeah. some some social media managers will go, oh, our merchandise is dropping next week. So like, no, you must realise this is really important. Like, this is bigger than your merchandise. If you want to sell out your London show, you need you to need give to us priority. This. Yeah. Um, and then sometimes you do get agents involved when, when you know, because you book a show on a certain premise. You go, okay, this is what we want to do with, with, the, with the artists. And we, we, these, we, we even try to write in the contract and go, these are the posts that you have to do. Obviously, sometimes it gets pushed back. But when you do festival headliners, you, you put we, we put in the contract. And we, oh, cool. we agree to those terms because we're paying a lot of money for the artist. And if the artist doesn't support and get his fans galvanized, which we will do for him then the, it's, it's a non-starter because yeah. there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of headline talent out there who, who, who will get paid a lot of money and they're not support. And it's like, hold on a minute. Like you are at the end of the day, we're, you know, they're benefiting our festival, but we're paying you a lot of money. So you have to help support. Yeah, definitely. Big question. What do you think um, sells tickets? Is it the lineup? Is it the venue? Is it the concept or is it the promotion that goes into the whole event? Well, obviously, there's a bit of both, a bit of everything. Yeah. In that. But, you know, if you, uh, there's no doubt that if you have a good if you have a good brand, you can pretty much sell anything, in my yeah. opinion, because you've seen even even I'll go back to the examples of, of my night in Bath. 
the venue Club XL was probably one of the worst spaces I've ever done an event in. One of the worst. It was it was crap. It was a shithole. Like yeah. it was it was literally stuck in the late eighties. There'd been no no refurbishments done. It's a good space, but just old. It doesn't look good. You know, yeah. as an 18, 19 year old student, you don't want to go there. It's not it doesn't look fun. But what we did was we managed to get everyone there because of word of mouth, people liked our brand and people liked us. So we for four years we had a thousand people going every single week to the to a shit club because of the brand we created. Yeah. And I think that's what it boils down to. Like at the end of the day, people will come for talent. There's no doubt about that, you know. And there is and that's what a, a lot that the ultimate aim is to have a brand where people come for you, not the DJs. And you yeah. obviously see stuff out there, Elro and Abode and how they've done it in recent years where they don't have to pay loads of money for for top talent and you know and and that is the ultimate thing but it's so difficult to get there so sometimes normally it's like you kind of find a balance you you know it's very very it's very very difficult to it's very very difficult to have like you know uh an amazing brand and then pay like no one no nothing for it's very difficult and that will soon outgrow so even brands that i've just mentioned there will come a point where they will also become not old, but you, they'll have to start doing something different. Yeah. Because if you don't do something, you, you have because people want to go to new things. That's what people want. They want to go. Have you gone to this new thing like Printworks when it opened? Have you been to Printworks? Have you been to this place like? And now soon that venue, as amazing it is, it will become a norm in, yeah. in the city. So people won't be like they'll be like, oh, have you been to this other new place? And then that's where people start going. So I guess you then that you come into the venue. So even places like, like. Places like Amnesia, that is a it's a world renowned venue, it's a historic venue. So you already have that that trick up your sleeve. You yeah, go, where's that Amnesia? Like you need to go to Amnesia. So yeah, that's like. Did you remember that video that um, I think it was about two or three years ago? And they filmed people that were queuing up to go to Ants Ushuaia. Yeah, and they interviewed I think like four or five people, asking them who was playing that night. Yeah. And literally, I think there was one person that said Andre Oliva. Yeah, that nobody else knew. And it just yeah. goes to show sometimes that people just go. For the venue as this, well. This is it. Like that's why that that question. If there is no one answer to that question, like yeah. it's not just one thing or another. It's a culmination of things. Like you know, that's why certain certain brands want to be associated with certain clubs because it becomes a winner. It's like how can you not a really good brand, an amazing club? It's like okay, we got it. And like normally, and sometimes it's it's all three. So you have the talent, you know, and it, when that all comes together, then you're literally formidable. Like yeah. you, know, you see it with like music on and and. And Marco Carolla for what he did over the years, you know, and but he's grafted for years. So you have like Marco Carolla, massive act, music on, big brand, but best club in the island, Amnesia. They all come together and you get like thousands Boom. of people every week. So yeah. um so that's my it's not really an answer. But No, but it's an explanation. It's an explanation. Yeah. You yeah. Need, you ideally but you can do it with if you have a really, really good brand, you could fill pretty much any club you um, want because people have that loyalty. And then if you if you're top talent, you can again fill pretty much any club but then yeah it's, it, the hardest thing is maintaining the the level that of that level. brand and level of the talent and level of the club yeah do you give yourself goals like do you say for example if we've sold so many tickets by this date we know it's going to be a successful yeah. event yeah so we will have like we've done enough enough events at th- those so each specific venue will have like a target so for example um you know if you're like a Brixton academy event let's say if you're at New Year's Eve, let's say, Brixton Academy New Year's Eve, if you're on three and a half thousand tickets by the start of December, the capacity is four and a half, you're going to sell out. Yeah. So you have to hit, uh, and you have to hit certain targets. So Electric Brixton, 1800 capacity. If you hit um, 1400 tickets with two weeks to go, you're going to sell out 1700 yeah. capacity. So 
there's like there's yeah definitely when you work in venues like in london when you or any city when you're familiar with the crowd the people who buy the tickets and the venue you quickly understand the uh, the buying patterns of the the clubbers who go to that specific venue. So you go, if I hit this by that, you'll you'll sell out. But as a promoter, no matter what position you're in, you're always optimistic. You go, no, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. Yeah. And sometimes we've had some. In, we've had we had Paco Suna at Electric Brixton two years ago, in November, and um, with like Matador Egbert, and it was on three hundred tickets the week of the show, and we were like. <laughs> I was like, what's going to happen? Like, it was a disaster. It was literally going to... It was a disaster. And we sold 1,300 tickets in the last week. Oh, wow. So we sold out the event. like The week before. The, the, week, the week of the show. The week... Of the, and the, we hit, like, 16, 1,700 tickets. And it was like... And the, I was like... The majority were Italians in there. So, like, Italians and Spanish are just so relaxed when it comes to buying events. Oh, tickets. yeah. So relaxed. <laughs> they, they don't... Most of them don't buy it. So... To be able to, I'd rather like, it, it's difficult because as a promoter, you go, oh, they're a late buying crowd, they're a late buying, but you can't like, rely on you that. can't rely on that. And like, we even had, when we had Pyramid at 338, and you know, we sold like 1,500 tickets in like three weeks. Capacity is like just, just over two. So it's like, I was like living, I, I was living and breathing that show to ensure we sold it out. But it was like, it was nerve, it was nerve wracking. Yeah. We were on like 500 tickets at the end of October. So that's like three weeks to go, 500 tickets, like literally and like a fifth of the capacity done. And and then it, it was quite intense because obviously uh, Martin Amnesia was like, OK, this is my first pyramid event outside. Of the, <laughs> I was like, yeah, we're going to do, do it. it. And I was like, oh, my God, this is <laughs> They're like, the days where you say the, this is the, the, the tough days yeah, of my job, right? That, that was that was hard. But we sold it out the day before the event. And it was a big success. And now Incredible. it's a Printworks. Yeah. And if it didn't sell that event out, I couldn't have gone to Printworks and gone, I want to stick this event at your club because they'll go. What yeah. are you talking about? It's not going to do the ticket. So, yeah, it's 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 yeah. You have to hit certain ticket targets, but then again, there are anomalies. But you surprises. but you can't live by anomalies because you'll just always fail. Because you know, if it's an anomaly, it's a great surprise. So yeah. oh, that was great, but you can't go, you can't go. And when when someone asks you how's it going, you have to be like, well, we we're not where we want to be. Yeah. Uh, and then if it does well in the last few weeks. That's great, but you just always... That's why it's so important to go to a good start. Yeah. Which then boils down to my concept of galvanising friends, uh, uh, punters, to buy tickets. So if you get like a 1,000 people signing up and 500 people buy tickets in a venue which is 1,500 capacity, you've sold that, the, the, a third of the tickets. It's going to sell out. It's fine, like months in advance. But that's why we don't go on sale. Like A lot of like big promoters will basically get an artist and they'll just go, tickets now on sale. Yeah. But it's and it's like sell like ten tickets. It's like, okay, like what do you, like that's why we try to create some tension, like create the tension and then release the tickets. And when you release tickets, you get a flurry of people buying it and talking about it and momentum, and then you have momentum from the off. Yeah. And then, but if, that's why we never really do events where you just book an artist and go tickets now on sale because there's no momentum. And if you don't have any momentum, it's really hard to start momentum. So we create the momentum before we we sell a single ticket. I, I've always found that you guys are quite creative as well when it comes to anything like that, aren't you? And you always have new ideas. It's not just like... Yeah, yeah, we we have to. We yeah. have to because we just, we're just not like... We're not like some massive, massive company that can do all these like, worldwide tours. So like our, our turf is London. That's our, our, yeah. our... You know, even if like big, 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 uh, big artists go do like UK-wide tours or American tours, we, we just go, okay, we're your London promoter. And what they'll do is that those artists will do shows with... Um, 
one big promoter, Live Nation, for example, yeah. and they'll do like world tours. But for the London show, it's us yeah. because we know how to promote in London. And, uh, you know, the, the artists we work with like that approach. But you have to be creative. And that's like that's the fun part of the job. Yeah. Um, coming up with like cool concepts. And that does come from from above, from our director as well, who's who's, who's very, very involved in um, if, the creative process. Because, like, if you put out shit, you're going to get shit. Yeah. That's just a fact. Yeah, definitely. And sometimes you get away with it. Some, when it's a really, really, you know, sometimes if it's a really, really big artist and you don't get the artwork quite right, but because they're so massive, it just sells. Yeah. But then, but then normally when it's not a massive, massive artist, you need to make it look it look much bigger than it actually is. Like, portray the artist in a way that, put him on a pedestal and go, he is literally a god. Like, that's what we did with Andy C. Like, we, we, we made him into this, we promoted him as a guy who's, like, larger than life. That's why he's done, like, Ali Pally and Wembley Arena. Amazing. And, of course, he's an amazing DJ. Yeah, yeah, we help We help him get there, but, yeah. you know. So now talking a little bit about Ibiza, because obviously Lock and Load have had a huge presence on the island. This is the ninth year that um, Together is at Amnesia. Yeah. Do you think as the years have gone by, it's got easier because you know how it works and what works and what doesn't, or harder due to the amount of competition that there is? I think it's it's harder to to promote because the market is more oversaturated. However, as you get more experience, you make less mistakes and you start like and you also learn from the mistakes you've made. So it's a bit it's a bit. I don't know. It's a bit of a tough question because, yeah, the the, the market is just more oversaturated. There's there's yeah. no doubt about it. On the Tuesdays at Together, like even when I first joined, it was a coxie, you know, and you know he obviously smashed every Tuesday there. But we held our own. Um, but then then you get high opening, and then you get resistance down the road, and suddenly Tuesday night, which used to be like nothing, is now is so now much... the most popular night on the island. It's like <laughs> what's going on? So it has got more difficult because there's new things opening. There's more people trying to do parties. There's less people on the island. And then there is it's getting it's getting more difficult. So you have to think more you have to think more creatively to sell the events. But I would prefer to be in that position than like I would prefer to have those years of experience. Hundred percent. And then go, okay, I'll deal with this, it's cool, instead of going into a market where it's less saturated and try to do something. I think this is more challenging. Even though it might be harder, I'd rather have that experience and know and 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 because when you have more experience, you just make less mistakes, which makes you feel good. And then you basically build confidence and momentum and you know what you're doing. But what happens is there's new challenges that come into place. Things like, I just said, the new nights opening, undercutting people, doing free tickets. And you're suddenly like, where's this come from? Like, yeah. what when did this start happening? So it's probably, I, I prefer, it's harder, but I prefer it. Yeah. Yeah. Because you had so much experience behind you now. So you yeah. kind of know. Yeah what's going to work and what isn't. That's it. But then sometimes then you don't even know. You just do it like at the end, people are, you think it's going to work. And then, but if you, you can't, you can't go, oh, this worked four years ago, so it's going to work, work now. now. So you, that's why you always have to have, you know, you have to be evolving going, is this going to work? And then a lot of it, sometimes it is, you know, it's not guessing, but trying to predict. It's all about knowing your market at the end of the day and knowing. So when we do stuff with Amnesia, we know, we book the talent, we know our crowd, we know their big lineups. And then, Amnesia, no, the island. So when we hand it over to you guys, when when it's like street promo and stuff like that, 
Martin has a relatively clear idea of what he wants to do, what works on the island and what doesn't. doesn't. Do you find it a lot different promoting here in London than Tybetha? Is Ibiza just a completely different world of its own? Yeah, complete, yeah, I would say so. I think the thing with, with the way we do the promotion in Ibiza is like we, we obviously book a lot of the talent and then we do all the marketing online, but we're not on the ground every time. So yeah. that's, I can't fully compare it because I'm more, I'm more entrenched into London but I would probably prefer to be entrenched in London as well. I think Ibiza can be quite hectic. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I'm sure, as I'm sure you know. I think hectic yeah. is definitely the word. Yeah. <laughs> what would be one of the proudest moments in your career? Um, I would probably say selling out Southwest 4 last year. So it was, so basically what happened was we, SW4 has been a, a genuine event that's sold out for the last 15 years. Um, but what happened was in like when we booked, I think it was like three, three years ago, four years ago, when we three years ago, when we booked the Chemical Brothers, uh, the, the, the musical shift, Chemical Brothers was like a dream booking for the festival, amazing act. But what happened was we used to showcase a little house and techno at the festival before like 2010. Mm-hmm. And then, and then there was two separate days. There was like a bass day, like drum and bass day. And there was like a house and techno day. But as the years evolved and you had other festivals come through like junction to elro and all the like amsterdam festivals which are like literally an hour flight away eastern electrics they specialize in house and techno and when you specialize in house and techno if you're a fan of house and techno you just want to go there yeah. you don't want to go to a festival which does everything so we started really suffering those two years those like 2016 and 17 we started suffering because we were booking these massive acts we had the amnesia stage with marco carola sven Vaff, loco dice martinez brothers yeah, i remember and yeah. we didn't sell out and it's like, how can we do, how can we put book literally the biggest acts in techno and, and drop a, a huge amount of tickets compared to the other day, which sold out, and to previous years. So we started like moving, 2018 was a year where we decided to kind of do a big partnership with Capital FM. So what happened was we dropped the underground house in techno, which was like, we were basically chasing the techno ticket. We were like trying to chase it, like, oh, come to us, like do this. And there was only so many people who like house and techno in London, even though there's loads we were trying to fight with other festivals. So we kind of let go something that was already moving away from us instead of trying to pull it back in. Yeah. And we embraced a slightly more poppy version. So like we have Martin Garrix on a Saturday now, Oliver Heldens, Charmy and Marla, Craig David. We moved slightly into a more, a more of a commercial sphere. But there's so many, which is a more commercial sound. So there's so many people in London that don't like House and Techno. They just want to listen to Big Room House, yeah. potentially. And listen to Craig David and do this and... No, not listen to House and Techno. So we did that in 2018. And that was actually the year that my my immediate boss left. So I was working underneath him for three, four years. And he left right before we, right after we made that transition. Um, and my, my boss asked me, do you want to step into that role? And I was like, of course I do, because I'm not going to let anyone else come in and just tell me what to do. Because... You know, the person who, it was Jeff. And yeah. he, like, he he taught me a lot of things. And, you know, I wanted to move into his position because that's the progression I saw within the company. And that year, we sold out the festival with me leading the, the campaign, which was great. And there's a there's a multitude of factors. that There is the factor of the talent that we booked and the capital partnership helped a lot. But the fact that I, I led the marketing team to sell that festival out after not selling out in the previous two years and it being really tough was was it was a big moment for me i think and um but you can't do it without your team you can't you can't do it you, i couldn't do it by myself but i felt like i i you know i i 
try to drive the team and my, my boss listens to me a lot. Uh, but I learned a lot of the stuff working under Jeff. Yeah. And he, I, I looked at what he did in certain situations. Um, but a lot of the big decisions were left to me in the sense of when do we, you know, simple stuff like, which is important in marketing, when do we go up in price for the festival? Which acts do we announce at what point? Who are we marketing? Who are we targeting to? Are we going to do a street campaign this year? And all these key things that basically end up selling your festival out. Yeah. I was leading, which was good. And that was probably the proudest moment, I would say. But there, there comes a lot of stuff. Even that 338 show with Amnesia, like that was yeah. a big moment because that, you know, someone like Martin and Amnesia saying, you know, giving us that brand, you know, we obviously it's, it wasn't like, it's not a favor, but because we elevate his brand at the end of the day, but for, for us to, to sell that event out for him for in the first time and take it to, you know, the best country, best venue in the country, Printworks, is, is great. Um, but there's a lot, but that was probably, there's a lot of proud moments where you kind of go, wow, like, you know, yeah. this is great. And, um, but proud is probably would be selling out the festival. Yeah. So from all of your experience, what advice would you give to somebody that is starting to organize their own events? Um, I'd work harder than anyone else. Yeah. That, that's what it boils down to, really. Like, you need to, and you need to have a good team around you. Like, it's very, like, I could talk about the basics about, like, how to run an event, but I think those are things you can learn. Those are not that difficult. But it's working harder than anyone else. Simple as, like, that's why people succeed. They just work hard. You're quite a small team as well. There's not yeah. many of you. No, there's literally, yeah, there's literally, like, four of us. A fourth edition was literally just brought in last week. And then our director. And so you just have to work, you know, but it's not working hard. is isn't just, like, running yourself to the ground or doing loads of emails. That's not working hard. It's just, like, it is, you know, just doing, just putting more, if you put more of your time aside to working and, yeah. and if you enjoy it, you will just succeed more. That's just a fact. Like, yeah. You know, there there will be people who are smarter than me, more intelligent than me about certain things, but they don't work harder than me. So, and th that's why I will succeed more so than other people, yeah. maybe. And I, I know people who, who are, like, naturally very gifted, but if you don't apply that gift, then you're not going to really get anything. Um, and it also, just, just do... First impressions count, so do something that's... I'm, not not different because there's there's very very few things out there that are different. There's a lot of regurgitated stuff. So when you see something, you've normally seen, seen it, before, it before, but it just looks <laughs> better this time. So, but yeah, that would be it. Yeah, just work harder. But I guess everyone thinks they work hard anyway, right? They go, yeah. yeah, I work really hard. It's like, but you need to work hard in the sense where you are obsessed. Yeah, you're obsessed with your you job. You need to kind of live and breathe. You do, but at the same time, you also you, you live and breathe. But it, it does come with like you know, it does come with its cost. But I'm not going to complain because you know I've been I've been brought up in a way where. You know, my mum and my parents looked after me very well. I was very, I, I lived a good life. So there's no excuse for me not to go and succeed. There's yes. no excuse. Like, there, there's no excuse. I, I went through good education. I played sport. I was looked after. I, I had meals. Like I, I had a house. Like, it's cool. So many people out there who go through such rough backgrounds and, and manage to succeed. So for me, that's what drives me. Like, there is no excuse for me not to succeed in what I want to do because my what my parents did for me. Amazing. Rob, thank you so, so much. Thank you. This has been fantastic. And good luck for the rest of the year. I know you guys are super, super busy, but you're all going to smash it. You always do. Thank you very much. Thank you, Kate. Thank you.